Welcome to the very first Zircon podcast. I'm the host, James Good, a strategy partner of Zircon, and our star of the show is Dr. Amanda Potter, a very experienced chartered psychologist and CEO of Zircon. Thank you, James. I'm absolutely delighted to be here after working for 30 years in the world of business psychology. As James said, this is my first ever Zircon podcast, and it's a very exciting day. So what inspired you to want to create a podcast and why have you chosen now to do it? For such a long time, I have been listening to fantastic podcasts from many different researchers, psychologists and neurobiologists who I trust and respect. And it's been a passion of mine to learn about psychology and to understand how we can apply psychology in business. I would love to now share some of those lessons with our clients and our partners. And why now? Why now, with everything that's happening in the world, my co-director and I, Sarah and I, have been really thinking about the implications of what's happening at a global level on how leaders lead and how they create trust how they continue to create a sense of purpose and belief in organizations and how can they work with their teams to feel a sense of everybody's together through yet another potentially challenging time when we thought we were getting through the pandemic and we're turning into summer, we're now facing another potential crisis that many of us are thinking, what's the impact for this for us personally, for our families? for our children and for the organisations that we work. How do you think people are feeling? Worried. Sarah and I have spoken to a number of our clients and family members to ask them how they're feeling and, and our team too. And everyone is worried. And it's because of the fear of the unknown. We don't know how far this is going to go. But whilst we hope for the best, we need to think about potential difficult scenarios and plan for the worst. So this podcast was really aimed to help leaders start thinking about their role as a leader, given this potential future crisis. We're already coming out of um, really unusual times and financially, we just don't know what's going on at all. Um, not if not our sort of nation's finances or our personal finances with um, fuel prices going up and things. Um, there's a huge risk. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with Russia and um, it, it could escalate. There could be cyber attacks. There could be a huge energy crisis. There could be massive price hikes in the supply chain. There could be inflation. There's just so much unknown at the moment. It's really scary. And do you know what? That summary you've just given is such a perfect example of a negativity bias. Each of us are hardwired to focus on the negatives, the things that potentially could go wrong. And that's because of the amygdala. We have a fight or flight response to stress and to difficulty. And it's designed to protect us. It's designed to help us scan the environment and to predict for potentially unforeseen but negative circumstances that could threaten us. And because of that very heightened awareness, when we're anxious or when we're stressed, the amygdala is on high alert. 
and it sends signals to the adrenal gland to create cortisol to enable fight or flight and to create adrenaline. Now, what happens is when we're going through periods of challenging times, as we have just recently done from a commercial perspective due to Brexit, then due to the pandemic, and now potentially we may be going through challenging times again, or at least that's what we think. What happens is the amygdala is absolutely on high alert and we are looking out for any evidence or any signs. We are scanning the environment, we're scanning the news to see if the threat is real. In those situations, it's like a muscle. The amygdala firing actually gets stronger and there has been some neuroscientific research to show that it physically grows, that side, the part of the brain actually physically grows. Whereas the rational side of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, where it helps us to understand, classify and sort those threats in a reasonable way can shrink. And so the risk in terms of how we think is that if we're faced with continual challenges and we don't rationalize, that we become more focused on the negative elements and we're less able to consider the positives and what could happen. So are there um, early warning signals? Individually, when we stop looking at the positives and we're less able to focus on the things that could be going well, I think they're some of the signs. Actually, when some of the emotions that we're experiencing are more about worry anger, hesitancy, or being self-conscious, they're some of the signs that the emotions that we're experiencing are more towards the negative rather than the positive. When we are feeling good, when we're happy, when we're balanced, when we're resilient, which is what we're talking about now, we experience the positive emotions. We experience emotions of being calm, composed, we're confident, we're self-sufficient, self-assured, and even optimistic. And if we are continually faced with negative threat or risk, there is the potential for us to experience some of those negative emotions more predominantly than we experience the positive emotions. So if we are faced with continual stress and difficulty, the risk is the amygdala is on high alert and this could have an impact on our resilience, which means we could experience many of the negative emotions I mentioned to the detriment of the positive emotions. However, what's really interesting is that we've seen through working with leaders that many of the leaders that we're working with have become incredibly resilient and incredibly buoyant in the face of adversity and difficulty. They have learned to pick themselves up and many of the authors talk about resilience in terms of bounce back ability. We are seeing people being stronger than ever in coping with adversity and being able to pick themselves up. However, the risk is burnout because we know from the research on burnout that if you persist too much and you keep pushing yourself or hitting your head against a brick wall, what will happen eventually is that you will burn yourself out and that you have a depletion of those positive neurotransmitters and neuromodulators that enable you to feel good about yourself and feel happy. So I think um, something for me, really interesting for me has just happened in the fact that um, I've just shared with you some of the things that I'm concerned about. And you've just highlighted very clearly that um, that's having an effect on me. And but I wouldn't have identified that in myself. If I'm feeling those things, 
and other people are feeling similar sorts of things, whether that regardless of whether they're leaders or employees, whose role is it to highlight these things and identify them and then therefore be able to do something about them? I don't think it's anyone's role to highlight them, but I do think it's the leader's role to listen and to ask good questions. When Sarah and I were talking about recording this podcast, one of the things we were talking about is what what should we be doing with our colleagues, with our employees? And we agreed that we should just simply ask the question, how are they feeling? And we should be making sure that we take time to listen and understand. Interestingly, when we spoke to our team, there were different levels of concern across the team. Some people were avidly reading the news and listening to the different news articles. Others were keeping themselves a little bit more distant. And so I think the key is to listen, but also to observe, because we have to remember that we speak, hear and think at different paces. So we speak at about 125 words per minute. We hear at about 300 and we think about 600 to 900. So there's a huge amount more going on for people than they're necessarily talking about and sharing with you. So you really do need to make sure you're attentive to not only what are they saying, but what are they not saying and how are they interacting? What do you think leaders should be doing right now? The first thing I think they need to do is they need to be visible. They need to be present and they need to show that they care. I don't think it's very easy to be visible in this quite virtual world that we're working in now, but I think it's absolutely critical at this point on the brink of a potential third crisis that they are visible and shown to their employees. They need to show that they are thinking about this, not that they're planning on having some quick knee-jerk reaction and that they're going to make some significant big decisions but actually that they're not going to make any decisions in the short term. They need to show that they're thinking about this, that they are taking stock of the situation, but they're not going to have a knee-jerk reaction to the situation, but they're going to be very thoughtful and very considered. I think they also need to have a sense of empathy and understand that whilst some people may not be saying very much about it, they may be truly impacted by it, they may be having family in that region, whereas others may have limited views or limited feelings on it and so that everybody is different. Do you think there's a difference in, um, if we can sort of generalise a little bit and sort of categorise leaders and the difference between different generations, is there a difference in resilience? Are leaders more resilient naturally? Are younger people more resilient? That's such a great question because the research has shown that As we get older, we become more emotionally intelligent, we're more self-aware, we're more aware of others, and we are more resilient as we get older. So there is an age difference in levels of resilience. And the reason we become more resilient is because we learn better techniques for mood stabilizing. So we stabilize our mood more effectively, we make better choices, and that's how we can learn to become more resilient. We know from the neurobiology research that if we take a walk in the sun or if we meditate or we swim or cycle or even eat dark chocolate, we will release the mood stabilizer serotonin. 
And so we get a positive reward for doing those things. And we know from reading articles and everything that's in the press that to get outside, particularly with many of us working from home, we're being encouraged to do that as much as possible. We also know from that research that completing an exercise or self-care or just celebrating little wins helps us to release dopamine, the reward chemical, which also helps us to feel good. And all of these things are enablers of resilience because what they do is they help us to experience the positive emotions associated with feeling good and feeling happy which helps us to become more resilient and gives us a greater sense of being in control. In that case, if resilience is developed um, like any other experience or skill or expertise, and um, the more things you've experienced, then maybe the more resilient you become. Um, The last two major events in our life over the last two years, have they set up these leaders, potential leaders for for success? Are these the right people in the right jobs right now? I believe that the leaders today are potentially more resilient than ever because I am very proud to say that the organisations that we have been working with have invested in their leaders. They have focused on providing them with coaches, with mentors and leadership development opportunities to help them develop and focus on their resilience over the last two years in particular. And given that support in combination with the challenges they've been facing and the remote working, the pandemic, Brexit, and potentially future challenges, it's meant that the leaders have had to overcome one hurdle after another. And my experience of working with leaders is that they have better habits They are creating habits that are much more sustainable for the long term around health and around their well-being. And so I think there's nothing like a real situation to test us and to challenge us. And I do believe that the environment that we've been working in has been a real test for these leaders. And many of them have risen to the top. Are there any tactical things people can be doing or thinking about that's going to help them? and help their people um, get through this uncertain time? A practical thing for me is to make sure that your teams, your people feel psychologically safe. We get a sense of psychological safety from feeling trusted and trusting our colleagues, from having a clarity of purpose and having personal connection. What happens when we feel psychologically safe is that we are more likely to speak with candor and we are more likely to take interpersonal risk. Now more than ever, organisations need a real clarity of purpose about where they're heading and how they're going to deal with these global challenges. And leaders need to give employees the sense of security and safety that the organisation is being very considered in how they're dealing with these global challenges and that they won't have this knee-jerk, worried reaction to potential difficulties and that they are leaders that they want to follow and that they are pushing towards a better future and not they're going to be running away from difficulty. Should they be 
very honest with people and say we don't know what's going to be happening and maybe oh totally maybe we are going to be making some cuts in the future i wouldn't necessarily be focusing on cuts but i would be focusing on the fact that if they as leaders don't know what the future holds and they don't know necessarily what the answers are i think it's very good for leaders to be honest to be humble to say we don't have the answers we know what we would like to achieve and we know how we would like to achieve it, but we don't have all the answers. I think it's a good thing for leaders to remain humble and to remain honest. Are there any behaviour changes that might indicate that people aren't psychologically safe or don't feel psychologically safe? There are. The ones that are real indications that someone may no longer be feeling psychologically safe is when they stop asking questions, they stop admitting mistakes, they stop innovating or suggesting new ideas, or they just go with the status quo without questioning. So when someone stays quiet and refrains from challenging a debate or disagreeing with their colleagues, that may be because they aren't feeling safe enough to speak up and they may not want to put themselves in a position where they're providing a diverse or alternative view. Is there anything good that can come from fear and worry? There is. There is a huge amount that can be gained from fear and worry and that's creating new habits and creating new discipline for understanding when faced with those challenges again in the future, how are you going to cope with them? There's some lovely research around habits. And the idea is that if you identify a number of habits that you want to practice and embed, what you do is you create and identify five or six habits that you'd like to put in per day. So imagine you wanted a healthier lifestyle. What you would do is you would identify five or six small habits that you would be able to put into your lifestyle on a daily basis. And you do this for 21 days consecutively. Over those 21 days, you probably won't maintain all five or six habits every day, but there's a strong likelihood that two or three will persist throughout that period. And 21 days is the magic number of days for a habit to really be formed for many, according to the research. And over those 21 days, some of those micro habits, those five or six micro habits that you've been putting into place will stick. So to answer your question then, James, could something good come from this? If we're thinking about how can we drive success within organizations, what we need leaders to do and to think about is how can we create good organizational habits, habits that protect the employees, that help them to feel safe, to give them purpose, to create clarity? How can they, at a more tangible level, make decisions that will protect the organisation, but will also help them to deliver their future goals and aspirations? So what are the small things that they could be doing that could help them achieve those goals, rather than making those bigger knee-jerk decisions and responding to difficulty. Can you give us some examples of those small habits? One of the things they could be thinking about is, are we as innovative and disruptive as we can be given this challenging environment? And one way they can do that is to make sure that they have a truly diverse team. 
diverse in terms of how they think and how they come together and the extent to which they challenge each other. In other words, how cognitively diverse they are. Seeing as these are challenging times of just enormous uncertainty, that's the only thing we can be certain of. Um, What are the risks facing our leaders at the moment? With the personal pressure, the leaders will be feeling for their teams, for their families and their organisations. The greatest risk they have is overusing their strengths. When we're under pressure and our resilience is low, I mentioned the negativity bias that we have earlier. When we're experiencing some of those challenging emotions, what happens is we revert to type. We go back to the strengths where we're the most comfortable, so the things that we enjoy doing, and we invest time in those things. So I'll give you an example. If I was particularly under pressure, what happens is I write a huge number of lists because I have a strength around planning and being methodical and organizing. And so when I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling under pressure, I overly structure my life and the environment around me. What can happen is that we can overplay this in some situations. So someone who is confident has the risk of almost appearing or seeming arrogant. Someone who's highly organized might appear rigid or someone who is detailed might become a perfectionist. But what's so interesting is Harvard Business Review has found that leaders who have strengths also have fatal flaws. A fatal flaw is when you have a risk that is not apparent to you, but is apparent to others. So imagine you had been given some 360 feedback, and in the feedback you thought, well, I don't deserve these ratings. And your colleagues were saying, well, you got those ratings because you did nothing. And a fatal flaw is when you had no idea that the issue was, or the area was even important, and therefore you haven't spent any time practicing it or tailoring it in order to become, for it to become a strength. And so I suppose I've given you two risks. One is that under pressure, we can overplay our strengths and we have too much of a good thing. And the other risk is that we underplay some strengths and they become something called a fatal flaw. So I really like the idea that um, because these leaders have taken us through the last two years and are about to hone their skills and become even more amazing, um, I really like the idea of uh, sort of thinking to the future and uh, just wondering what does the future hold? How how will businesses be different in the future than they've been in the past? Businesses are way more agile than they've ever been. They are allowing their employees or encouraging their employees to work very differently. They're showing a great deal more trust of their employees. It's much more about output than input and hours. And we're seeing organizations being much more mature in terms of the way they're partnering with their employees and where they, the way they're working with their employees now more than ever, which I think is fantastic. People are 
wanting to work for an organization that they connect with and that they have a clarity of purpose where they're contributing to something that makes a difference and they want to feel like they're valued and part of something important. I believe that the leaders that I've been working with are working much harder than they've ever done to try to create a sense of unity, create a sense of team and create connection between their employees, particularly with so many working remotely. To answer your question, James, I think the future of organisations looks brighter in that I can see leaders making much more effort than they have done in the past. I think they're much more conscious of their employees' requirements. And because of the remote nature of our work and because of the global instability, they're wanting to make sure that there is greater sense of purpose and clarity for employees, greater personal connection between people and a greater sense of we're in this together and we're going to help each other achieve success. So our leaders have been amazing the last two years. We think they're great. We think they're potentially shaping up to be the best leaders of our time. That's pretty cool. It's very cool. We know that the leaders of the future are bold, they're emotionally intelligent, and they have an external perspective. They understand what's happening in the outer world with their competitors, with their suppliers, in the economy, politically, and they consider all those things in order to make really robust and thoughtful decisions for their organizations. But more importantly than all of that, I think what we're seeing is leaders really care and they want to do the right thing for their teams and for their organizations. They want to make a difference. And so I think for me, that's been the impact of the last few years is that I think it's changed the way we see ourselves as employees and as a colleague or as a leader. I think it's not that we're just more serious about it. I think we just care more deeply about making a difference either in society or in the organisations where we work. I couldn't agree with that more. And hopefully listeners today feel that too. So that brings us to the end of the first of hopefully many Zircon podcasts. I'd like to thank the fabulous Dr. Amanda Potter for sharing her thoughts. Going forward, the theme of the podcast is around workplace psychology and conscious leadership. We're hoping that you'll find these thought-provoking, insightful and practical. If you've enjoyed listening today, then please do like or share or come back again. Uh, Maybe even connect with Amanda on LinkedIn. I know she'd like to hear your thoughts around this podcast and maybe hear suggestions for future podcasts as well. Thanks for listening.